Well, you know, they used to teach ice skating with a chair. I wonder if anybody learned that way. When I, when I was a boy, we would go back to Maine to visit my grandfather for Christmas, and they would take us down to the pond, they would strap these little skates on our feet, and they'd take us off the bank, and they'd put us on the ice, and they'd put a chair right in front of us, and they would slowly back away. And there you'd be standing there with a the chair, and you'd just grab it <laughs> for dear life, right? You just hold on to that chair. You just are shivering there. And then what would happen is eventually the chair would start to get away from you, it started to slide forward a little bit. And so pretty soon then you, you, you'd, you'd follow, right? One skate in front of the other and you'd follow that chair across the pond and pretty soon you're ice skating, right? Pretty good way, I don't know if they still do it that way. The problem with ice skating is that it looks so easy, right? I've seen the Olympics. You've seen the Olympics. We know how it goes. You just put one skate in front of the other. Just keep doing that, right? You throw your arms out like this. You, you go around a corner, you flip backwards like this. You know, One leg goes out like this, and then you kick, and you're th you spin three times, and you, you stick the landing, right? Easy, easy, easy. It's so easy. The problem is, that's all in our heads. That's in our heads. The moment you get on the ice, Oh, you better have something to hold on to. You better have something with four legs and no skates. The chair. See, you could take classes on skating uh, in a classroom. You could read books on skating, magazines. You could watch any number of YouTube videos on skating. You can know everything there is to know about ice, kinetic energies. You can know all the skaters, their names. You can know the names of all the moves, you know. Shoot the duck, the camel hamel, uh, the cross-checking, high-sticking, all the good stuff that you get to do out there. You can know all about that. You could be a judge and a commentator on ESPN. But none of that, none of that makes you a skater, right? The lesson of the ice skate is that you grow as you go. That's the lesson. If you want to become a skater, you got to get on the ice. You got to go. And so these last few weeks, we're, we've been studying this little story, it's an incident more than a story, in the New Testament that gives us a picture of what it looks like to join Jesus on his adventure. Last week, we talked about community, that when we join Jesus, we don't do it alone. It's not good to be alone. We go together, community. Today, I want to think about the importance of mission, what Jesus is about. Because here's, here's why. What we're going to discover is that when we go with Jesus on mission, it won't just change the world, it'll change our lives as well. Mission. When we go on mission, we grow in Christ. So let's turn to Acts chapter 10. Did you bring a Bible or a phone or something? Navigate over to Acts chapter 10, verses 17 through 20. We skipped over this part. Now we're coming back to pick it up. Uh, it's on page 894 of the Pew Bible. I'd love for everybody to open it up because uh, we can read aloud together. It's okay if your translation is different. doesn't matter. It's the same book. Um, if you're able, let's stand together. And we'll read Acts 10, verse 17 through 20. And when we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading God's holy word. Now, while Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of the vision that he had seen, 
suddenly the men sent by Cornelius appeared. They were asking for Simon's house and were standing by the gate. They called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, look, three men are searching for you. Now get up, go down, and go with them without hesitation, for I have sent them. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. You grow as you go. Go, 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 go. And yet something inside of old Peter, the fisherman, says, wait, wait, not right now, not just yet. I'm not ready. Do you catch that in what you just read? Uh, Look at verse 17 again. He's trying to work something out in his head. The word that Luke uses is greatly puzzled. Peter is greatly puzzled. Now this is a word that Luke uses only elsewhere of skeptics. Okay, here's Peter, the apostle, the skeptic. He's greatly puzzled. And understandably so. If, you, if you've been tracking the story, been reading Acts 10, you realize he has just seen this whacked out vision, super strange vision. Uh, the Lord shows him this sheet that's coming down from heaven, this all kinds of unkosher food, and the words kill and eat. And so he's like, he's puzzling. I, I, I don't get it. Just give me a minute. I've got some questions. I, I, I'm, I can't make sense of it. Just, just, just give me a minute to puzzle this. And what does he get? He does not get a minute. He gets a mission assignment. He gets a mission assignment. Now, get up. The Spirit said this to him. It's probably just an inner urging. The Spirit says, now, get up, go down, and go with. That's verse 20. See, this is not about getting the story of Jesus straight. This is about getting you into the story of Jesus. Go. It's about getting you into the adventure that's right next door. Now, Peter is experiencing this. Just a little bit of a review. Peter's on this tour outside of Jerusalem. has gone west towards Mediterranean Sea, little town of Joppa. He's staying with a leather tanner. Now, probably this leather tanner has done a pretty good jo- job. His business has done well. Apparently, he's got this large courtyard. Not uh, hard to believe. Tanning was a smelly business. You know, the animals and, you know, you can imagine. So they, they tended not to be in the center of town, but out on the periphery. In fact, we're told here by Luke that his house is by the sea. And so big house, big courtyard. Peter's upstairs on the roof where he had the vision and he's puzzling. He's greatly puzzled. And all of a sudden the doorbell rings, right? Like these guys are out there shouting across the courtyard. Hey, is this the house where... A guy named Peter is staying, and they, they bring them in, and, and, the, and, the, and the, the interruption, the, 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 the doorbell, the greeting is, is an interruption, and it, and it breaks into this great act of cognition that Peter's trying to pull off that Luke calls puzzling. Notice what the text says in verse 17. This is important to Luke, this interruption. While Peter was greatly puzzled suddenly the men sent by Cornelius appear. Uh, Verse 19, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to them, look, three men. Not after, but while. Note the while. It's as if the spirit is saying to Peter, look, Peter, at this point, the puzzling will get you nowhere. 
Peter, at this point, the action is not up here on the roof with you thinking. It's not in your head. The action is down there next door. Get up, go down, go with. Wait, we say, wait, 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 just a minute. Let him think it through for just another minute because I think Peter's gonna get there. This is what we say, right? Give Peter a chance to do a little Bible study because Peter should get this one, right? I mean, if you know what the vision is about, it, it, it's about this moment when the gospel, the good news of Jesus is about to jump. It's about to jump from Judaism into all the ethnicities of the, of the ancient world right there. It's, this is where the movement of Jesus is about to become this beautiful, multicolor, multi-ethnic, multicultural mission, movement. And shouldn't Peter have known that, we want to say? Shouldn't he have known? I mean, if he'd been reading his Bible, he would, right? Remember Abraham, the Lord says, through you, Abraham, I will bless all the nations of the earth. All the ethnoi is the word. Oh, what about Isaiah? It's who swallow a thing, the Lord says, that I should bless just my people Israel through you. You shall be a light to the nations, to the ethnoi. And then Jesus himself. Jesus resurrected, gives the great commission. He says, go make disciples of all the nations, of all the ethnoi. And then, of course, if you want to just locate yourself in the book of Acts, it begins with Jesus saying, you shall be my witness, Jerusalem, Judea, and then to the uttermost ends of the earth. No, Peter, if he took a moment and read his Bible, he, he, he would know this. He, Peter, he should know this. You, you'd think he could figure this out. Doesn't he know it? And the answer is yes, but catch this. Here's the point. A truth in your head isn't a reality in your life until you step into it. You, you, you gotta step into it to lay a hold of the truth or to let the truth lay a hold of you. See, the revelation won't come to Peter at this moment through contemplation. The revelation's gonna come to him through the activation. And there's an important lesson for us here. Truth unapplied is truth unknown in the fullest sense. There's a risk in continuing just to get truth that you don't put into practice. You gotta go. You gotta get on the ice. Well, what I'm trying to say here is that you grow as you go. Growth, let's think about growth. I have noticed just the smallest amount of growth in my own life recently. I'm proud, so I'm gonna share it with you. Little increments of growth is, is all I ever get. But I think I see something that's real. So here, here's how it happened. Two weeks ago, we started this series and we made the observation that the action of Acts 10, this great story, begins with Cornelius, the Roman centurion, living 35 miles north of Joppa, and Peter living, now we're visiting in Joppa with, uh, at the house of Simon the Tanner. Both men are actually praying at the time this action begins. And we talked about that in, in, the, in the message and the, the takeaway line for me, and it kind of caught me by surprise, is this line from the message, providence drives prayer and prayer exposes providence. I don't know if you even heard that. It was in there and I thought, I started thinking about it the next day. Providence drives prayer and prayer exposes providence. And I, it struck me and I said, you know, I, if, that's, if that's really true, I want to see that. I mean, if it's really true that God is at work in the lives of my neighbors before I have any awareness of that, and if it's really true that, 
when I fall to my knees and pray about my neighbors, God gives me the gift of like exposing that work uh, that he's doing in their lives to my awareness, then I wanna pray more. So for seven days, I prayed for one particular neighbor. I just, this one guy in my neighborhood prayed for him every day for seven days. And I prayed for all kinds of different stuff for this guy. Well, I happened to run into him towards the end of the time. And we had a very interesting conversation. I remember thinking the next day, he seemed more open. There was more spiritual content that he, provi- he brought into the conversation than I, and any other conversation that we had in the past. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. And then all of a sudden, I had been praying for this guy for seven days. And I thought, what? What if there's a connection? What if? And you know, I thought, okay, I'm just gonna believe there is a connection. So you know what I wanted to do next? Pick another guy and start praying. <laughs> so I'm praying for another guy in my neighborhood for seven days. So what I'm noticing about myself is I'm believing more in prayer. I'm actually practicing more in prayer. And that for me is growth. Praise God, your pastor is growing. <laughs> yes, thank you. I mean, I shouldn't, it shouldn't be a surprise, but um, that I am me. It does remind me of my own growth trajectory. When I was a a brand new Christian in college, um, I had a similar experience. So I I was a sophomore and I'd been invited into this small group Bible study with a group of people that rode on the crew and I was on the crew at that time. It was the first time I'd ever been with anybody looking at the Bible together, studying it. And after we'd been doing this for half a year, the, my, the small group leader who was a, a junior, just a year ahead of me, he looked at me and he said, George, hey, I think it's maybe time for you to start your own small group. Let's get another group going. And I thought, oh, I used to think so highly of this guy. It seemed like he had such good wisdom. And then he's just asked me to lead a small group. Clearly, I, I don't, you know, because I had been a Christian for all of like, like 15 minutes. And he's saying, now it's time for you to start talking about Jesus. I thought, this is very dangerous business. You really don't know what you're talking about here. You obviously don't know me. I know nothing. I'm puzzling. <laughs> I'm puzzling about more than you realize. And he says, no, but no, I really think, you know, it's time for you to do that. And at this time then, Jesus gives me two two verses. I'm saying, wait, I'm not ready. And two verses come to my mind. The first is from St. Paul. Listen to what he says. 2 Corinthians chapter three, verse five. It is not that we think, Paul speaking of himself, we're qualified to do anything on our own. No, our qualification comes from God. Now, I knew I was not qualified to talk to people about Jesus or to lead a little investigative small group in a freshman dorm. I knew I was not qualified to do that, but then I saw, wait, if even the Apostle Paul says his qualification comes from God, maybe I could claim the same thing. My competency comes from God. It's God who through his Holy Spirit makes me qualified in, in the moment. And actually Paul says elsewhere that this is on purpose because God doesn't want people to place their trust in Paul or in George, but in Jesus. And so we let Jesus make us competent. So here's the second verse. It was from the book of Joshua. We have two Joshua's here today. Uh, The Lord says to Joshua, I hereby command you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I love that promise. And then somebody said to me, confrontation breeds confidence. That's worth writing down. Confrontation breeds confidence. Confidence. What they meant by that is the more you and I confront our fears with the promises of God, the more our confidence in God begins to grow. 
Confrontation breeds confidence. Remember Joshua? God asked him to cross the Jordan River, but, but rather than making it part first and then he gets to see that it's safe to go through, Joshua has to take a step into the Jordan while, there's that word again, while it's still raging. Trust me, Joshua, he's saying, I'm with you. Take a step. And I'm here to tell you today that every step I've ever taken into the mission of Jesus has led to growth in my life. It's in giving that I receive. It's in praying that I discover the power of prayer. I learn the most about love from the people who are the hardest to love. I learn the most about the good news of Jesus when I'm here trying to share it with another person. The more I serve, the more my heart begins to shape, be shaped by the heart of God in Jesus, the great servant. Maybe that's what Jesus means when he says, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. Growth. You grow as you go. You grow as you go. You. And let me tell you, this is one of the things, the great thing I like about you. The great thing I love about UPC, one of the many things, is that you believe in mission here. You believe that your faith matters in the real world. And not only you believe it, you do it. When the Spirit says, get up, go down, and go with, UPC, you go. Whether that's next door or across campus or around the world. And this is our mission assignment. So look at this. This is our mission assignment. We are a family of communities joining Jesus to transform our lives and the, and the lives of neighbors at the University of Washington in our neighborhoods, wherever the Lord assigns us, and all around the world. Mission assignment. We're joining Jesus wherever, believing he's assigned us. They say that it's not that God's church has a mission, it's that God's mission has a church. We're here because Jesus has a mission. We're here for others. Here are our five values. We just remind you of these things. Number one, gospel-shaped lives. Number two, living as family. Number three, sent for others. Number four, growing with students. Number five, global culture. When we say sent for others, what we mean is that we're here for the sake of people beyond ourselves. God forbid if the mission of UPC ever becomes institutional maintenance, ever becomes just making sure that UPC exists. That's never been UPC. We exist for the sake of people beyond us because we exist for the people that Jesus exists for. He comes because he loves the world. He gives his life for your neighbors. He gives his life for them. And so we're meant to give our lives for them as well. We're sent for others. We put mission in our formation. Because Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you, mission. We put mission in our formation. So we use a strange word, formational. We made this word up. But to remind ourselves, every time we say it, formational, that we're formed by mission. That mission, the mission of Jesus is what actually shapes our lives. And so this is our strategy. This is how we go. We live this lifestyle that holds together three great biblical mandates. We put them in this Venn diagram. The biblical mandates are to be formed as disciples, to be on mission for neighbors, and to live like family in community. The heart of that gospel, at the heart of that, sorry, the heart of that uh, Venn diagram is where we meet Jesus. And we say on the left side of that arrow, gather with us, so that we can say on the right side of this arrow, believe with us. We're coming to believe in Jesus together with our neighbors. Because when we live this lifestyle, he's in our midst. He's with us, and we're with him.
So we call it formational community. As I said to you last week, we form groups that help neighbors find Jesus. By the way, you educators have a term for this. You call it practicing communities. So the, the people learn by doing together. This was a revolution in, in, uh, in education theory not long ago, but only just now catching up with Jesus. He's been, he's been doing it all along. Get up, go down, go with. As you grow, as you go, as you go. Not before. And I, I just want to say this. Nothing immobilizes men and women more than the idea that first we grow and then we go. First we must go and then we go. And let me illustrate this way. Let me engage with me in a thought experiment, if you would. Just imagine for a moment, imagine for a moment that, that we're talking about hockey strategy here today. Okay, so I'm telling you a little bit about the beauties and the wonders of the 1-2-2 offensive formation. I'm talking to you about zone coverage on defense and this new approach, this idea I have about the a power play strategy. So when someone's in the penalty box, this is what we're gonna do. And you, you know, even if you've never watched hockey, never played hockey, you might be kind of interested. Okay, that's, yeah, I'm intellectually curious. That's kind of stimulating. Learn for a little while about another sport, you know, whatever, and I could hold your attention until your phone vibrates. But now imagine that you're not here in Seattle, you're in Lake Placid, New York, the year is 1980, and you're in a steamy locker room with a bunch of 22-year-old college students, literally. Uh, In three minutes, though, you're gonna be out on the ice for the third period, and you're gonna be face-to-face with Russian professionals, four-time Olympic gold medal champions. They've hardly lost a game in the last three decades, but it just so happens that the score of the game is three to two. You're down by only one goal. Somehow you got two goals off the Russians. And now I'm talking to you about strategy. Is anybody listening? You can hear the beat drop. You're drinking it up. You, you, do you see the difference between those two? Really the difference is, you, the difference between listening as an outsider versus an insider. As an outsider, I share with you information about hockey. It's information that you may never need for the rest of your life, maybe at a cocktail party or something, Olympics. Or on the other hand, I share with you information because you are a part of the miracle on ice. Do you remember? That's what they called that game. By the way, the Americans won. We won that game. And some commentators say it was the greatest sport event in the 20th century. I know that's debatable, but what a great game. And so here's the question. When it comes to the Christian life, what about you? Are you an outsider trying to bring yourself to church, drag yourself in here, and try to make it seem interesting to you to learn about Jesus? (laughs) Because someday you might need to know a little bit about. Or are you coming here because you're on mission, you're inside the story, and you gotta get everything you gotta get because of the adventure that you're on? Are you an insider? That's the difference we're talking about here. Are you just living on the roof, gaining kind of theological nuggets? I don't know, just in case. (laughs) Or are you going down those stairs with Jesus next door? And I hear this, I hear this all the time. So wait, 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 I'm not ready. Or more often, I oftentimes hear this from some of our leaders. Wait, 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 they're not ready. (laughs) Don't do this yet, George. First, let's help them grow, and then we'll help them go. 
We say, let's give them some classes. Let's assign them some reading. There's some more podcasts we want them to listen to. But we gotta do some discipleship with them and then send them out. And I wanna ask you a question very honestly. What's discipleship without mission? Does that exist? Is there discipleship without mission? Do you ever engage with Jesus and not find him doing mission? Leslie Newbigin writes, there is no participation in Christ without participation in his mission to the world. Jesus is always on mission. You can't get him in a classroom. In Luke four, Jesus shows up on the scene in his hometown and it says they tried to keep him with him, but he said, I can't stay, I'm going, because my mission is to preach the good news of, of God. The kingdom of heaven has come. He's always on mission, Jesus, who is he? Remember, he's God reconciling the world to himself. The word who has put on flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. He's come to seek and to save that which was lost. He's come to give his life as a ransom for many, for you, for me, for our neighbors. And we've been reminded, he's making his appeal through us. This is his plan, 2 Corinthians 5.20. And let me just ask you, will you ever be ready for that? I'll never be ready for that. If I have to be ready before I start engaging in that, I'll never engage. If we have to grow before we go, we'll never go. When have we grown enough? How much growth is enough? I don't know. Wait, 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 wait. We say, what if, what, what if I encounter a question out there I can't answer? What, what, what if I encounter a problem out there that I can't solve? And, and what these questions indicate is we want to be experts. Now, I think particularly in Seattle, where we're a smart city and a smart culture, we want to be experts. We want to be credentialed. Like, let me get my story straight. I'm going to get the, you know, the degrees, and I'm going to get all the answers, and then I'm going to come. If you do it that way, what you're going to do is you're going to end up looking down your nose at your neighbor, and that's not good. Right? And this isn't about experts. Actually, remember, our competency does not come from ourselves, Paul says. It comes from the Lord Jesus. If we go out there as experts, people will be looking at us. And the point isn't to have people looking at us. It's the point is to have people looking at Jesus. You ready? Just trusting that the Holy Spirit will make you competent in the moment. So go. Now I have to say, I have to say, this is my little disclaimer, because I just, I, before you hit send on that email, I want you to know, there's nothing wrong with books and classes. I'm a, a total geek when it comes to books and classes. If you know me, you know that. I believe in learning and preparation. But the point is, we actually grow into that learning as we go. We, we, we become as we do. And so practice is what we're called to here. And actually, at this point, Peter understands this because this is the model of Jesus. Is it not? Isn't this what Jesus, isn't this what he did? He comes to Peter and he says, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. You follow me. He doesn't say, sit down and study me. He doesn't say, sit down and contemplate me. No, he says, follow me. I'll take that fishing thing that you know a little bit about already and I'll transform it into growth in your life. And soon you'll be catching people with my love. This is what he did with the whole 12. He says, join me on mission. And they're as raw as they could possibly be all the way through the gospels. But they see God at work in Jesus. They see God as Jesus you know, joins Levi, the party for tax collectors and sinners, as he forgives adulterers, as he touches lepers and heals the, the eyes of those who are blind. And he feeds the 3,000 and the 5,000. He says, here, you take the food. You, you give them the fish. You go out with this message. He's putting the ministry in their hands. He said, this is your, it's gonna become your mission soon. 
And as, as he does that, what he's doing is he's building their capacity to trust God in impossible situations. He's building their capacity to serve with the power of heaven. And you don't just step out your front door and start doing that. You grow into that as you do that. And by the way, this is what's happening for Peter right now. Even for Peter at this point, there's something that Peter needs to grow in. He's not able to to grow in on the rooftop. It's not until Peter gets at the door of Cornelius, who is a God-fearing Gentile, that Peter's world is gonna get rocked again by Jesus. And he doesn't even know it. On the roof, you couldn't even teach it to Peter. If you told him on the roof, what has happened is Peter has racialized his faith. And if, and if, and if you t- try to tell him about that on the rooftop, he's gonna say, I am not a racist. But actually, if you put him in front of Cornelius's house, he's gonna have a huge, and we cannot underestimate the, 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 the magnitude of the challenge that Peter's a faithful Jew is gonna have to encounter when he gets to that door and he's contemplating going in and eating food and spending the night lodging with this pagan Gentile. And it turns out, now he knows. It's when he gets to the door, he goes, ah, the vision. Oh, I get it. It's not unkosher. Oh, I get it. No distinctions. Oh, I get it. And his racialized faith is challenged. And Jesus peels off a layer of that to bring an element of reconciliation into Peter's life. Now, he's going to backslide on this. If you've read the book of Galatians, you realize this is an ongoing struggle for Peter. He doesn't get it all at once. But what happens is Jesus keeps engaging him in mission, keeps sending him out. He'll struggle. He'll backslide. Jesus will forgive him and say, get back in the game, my friend. Get up. Go down. Go with. And he keeps growing him as Peter goes. As. You grow as you go. So finally, here's my prayer for this church. My prayer for me and my prayer for you and UPC is courage. I pray for courage. The Lord says be strong and courageous, doesn't he? The Lord says to you, I know you, I know you. I am with you, I'm with you. And I have the power to change your circumstances. Courage. I know these are hard times to follow Jesus, But what could be more important? You have what the world needs. You have hope in Jesus Christ. (laughs) Courage. Now, it's not your job to change people. It's not your job to change the world. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Your job is to follow the Holy Spirit and participate in the mission of Jesus. That's your job. So courage. So here's my challenge for us this week. Pray for courage and follow the Spirit into mission. Pray for courage and follow the Spirit into service. You might write that down. Write on the bulletin or a piece of paper uh, nearby. Write that and then you put it by, on your, by your bed, on your bedside table or your, your phone or your clock, whatever wakes you up, so that you have to see that before you set foot on the floor. Now, here's a prayer that you can pray tomorrow morning and every day this week. Lord, I'm on assignment with you today. Pray that prayer. Lord, I'm on assignment. To lead me by your Spirit. Show me one opportunity today to serve and then give me the courage to do it. Courage. Now I know you you might be battling depression. You you might be navigating cancer. You might be wounded right in the middle of a, a messy divorce. But I want you to know Jesus can take your past, 
Jesus can take your pain and transform it into a ministry that blesses somebody else. Courage. You're gonna make mistakes. Remember Peter? Remember Peter? You're gonna make mistakes. You're gonna, you're gonna fall. You're gonna fail. You're gonna slip on that ice. That's okay. That is part of the process. That is part of the learning process. That is part of the growth process. If that's not happening, then you're not growing. It's not, it doesn't matter how, how often you fall. What matters is how well you get back up on your feet in the grace of Jesus, in the love of God, in the fellowship and the power of the Holy Spirit. Courage. You grow as you go. So Jesus says to you today, put a chair on the ice. Grab a hold of me. Lean on me. But don't be surprised if I start to slide forward just a little bit on you. You just follow. One foot in front of the other, you follow. Follow me. And if you do that, Jesus says, someday when the crowds least expect it, together we'll race around the corner. I'll take you into my arms and throw you high into a full triple axle. <laughs> Courage. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, wow. Forgive us for the many ways we try to make our lives exciting. For the many ways we try to make ourselves happy by fulfilling our own self-interests. Can't do that. And why would we need to do that when you've given us the most exciting adventure we could imagine? This is where we find purpose for our lives. This is where we find the meaning of our lives in the privilege of joining you as your kingdom comes into this earth to bring goodness and love, to bring peace and justice, to transform all things and make it all new. What a gift. So we just pray you'll, you'll pour out on us a fresh measure of your Holy Spirit. He's come, he's been sent, he's been released for this purpose. So let it be so now in us, right here in our community. Send us. And we pray for courage. And we pray for sensitivity to that spirit so that when the opportunity comes, each day this week, we will have the courage to seize it. We pray in Christ's name, amen.